0: So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Let me invite you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter 13. And as we're turning here, I want to welcome the rest of our church family, worshiping in the Family Life Center and our extended family, worshiping online from wherever it is that you are this morning. Welcome uh, to part, I don't know, 112 of our study in the book of Leviticus. And we're going to get to chapter 13, verse 45, in just a moment. But as we do, let's take a moment and lift our hearts together before, um, before the Lord. Let's pray. And now, God, in this moment, our attention is fixed upon you maybe we recognize that you're always worthy of our attention always are but occasionally we stop long enough to wake up to your presence and to respond to your call for right now we pray that if there is any distraction in our minds and hearts lord you You would look upon your worshipers in this moment and relieve us. Allow us to be cleared of the clutter of the soul long enough to make space for you and to hear from your sacred word some some word that changes everything for us. We pray these things with confidence for if you are with us, then nothing else matters. But if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to get to chapter 13, verse 45 in just a minute. But first I have to tell you, that when the boys were eight and six, you know, tall enough to kind of lean on, prop something on, coffee mug. When they were eight and six, we went to a special worship service in a town near where I was preaching. I, I was in Etowah, Tennessee, in the next little town beside us to the west. Well, they were hosting the a cappella choir from Carson Newman University. My alma mater. I said, Oh, I love this choir, so I can convince the, the whole church. Let's not have church tonight. And let's go and listen to this choir. You're gonna love it. You're going to love it. Trust me. And we did. We all went to the next town over and we listened. We we gathered for this amazing concert, and there my boys were. And it was gonna be great because I would be able to sit in a pew with my family. And not have to preach or speak or pray or read anything. I mean, see, every day of their lives, their mother has been a single mother every Sunday morning. And we're going to sit in the same pew for a little while. So we gathered in there. And what I didn't know was that the concert was a requiem. (laughs) Which is fine. The music was still stunning, but a requiem is dark, dark. And somber, it's kind of a funeral dirge. And though they executed it like only they could, well, until I met this, this fine group. Until they, they, they executed it, but the problem was, to an eight and six year old, it's like, you know, not exactly the highlight of their weekend. So I start, I start to uh, play hangman with them. In the pews. Oh, don't act like you don't do that. So I do hangman with them in the pews. And, I'm, and we're just kind of, we must have been whispering or giggling or something during it. Because this woman sitting in front of me. Oh, buddy. She turned around. And she gave me a look that told me exactly where I could go. <laughs> and it wasn't heaven. Just I'm going to, I'm going to show you what I saw. I'm going to turn around. This was her back. And we're whispering, we're having a great time in the back. And, and she turns around and this is what she does. But that's not the best part. She finishes it. She does this. She says, hmm. I got church snubbed. Have you ever been church snubbed? I hope not. A church snub is what makes you feel like, well, maybe I don't belong here. And that night, we probably didn't. But have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you just didn't belong? Sometimes it's funny like that. Other times, not so much. So I saw Steve in the the parking lot at Publix. And... He hadn't been to church there in a long time. I said, "Steve, where you been? I, I've not seen you in a while. I've been missing your family." Where? And then, I, are you shopping other? Are you at? Are you looking at other churches? Where, where? are you? And he said, "No, it's nothing like that, Pastor." He said, "Thing is, my family and I, we are we're going through a really tough time, and my wife and I are really struggling. We're we're barely holding it together, and we wanted to come." But we just, we just wouldn't feel right. What do you, What do you do when you hurt and you're bearing a wound that you carry around and you know a place where perhaps it would help to go, but that place is the last place where you want to go? Have you ever felt like you didn't? belong and it could be for a number of reasons it could be a hundred reasons but have you ever felt like you didn't belong at church i mean maybe it's because of rude church people who give you the church snub right or maybe you park in the wrong parking spot or sit in the wrong pew but maybe it's none of that maybe maybe it's because of the thing that you did or the thing that she said or maybe it's guilt over something that, that you chose. Or maybe it's shame over a way that you feel about yourself. And whatever the reason, you, you feel like that's the place where I want to be. That seems to be the center of health and wholeness and healing. But I just I don't quite feel like right now I belong there. Well, If you have ever felt that for any number of a dozen reasons, that feeling is as old as Leviticus listen to these words in this chapter it talks well about sickness about a disease that keeps you at an arm's distance from the rest of the community but listen to how this text feels as it rises off the page Leviticus 13 verse 45 and 46 Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live out outside the camp do you know what it feels like to live outside the camp to do life in such a way that it always just feels like you're on the margin of something and that's where all the life is that's where the laughter and the joy and the contentment is right there in the center but i seem to always feel like i'm navigating my way around the boundary lines on the outside looking in like i don't belong leviticus is all about belonging here's a a band of ex-slaves and they're free and god gathers them in the wilderness at the foot of sinai and says i want to be your god and you will be my people and it's going to be great but here's how your life must be ordered And then the last part of Exodus is all about building this tabernacle, this space in which God will abide with them and they will abide with God. And the first ten chapters of this book are devoted to learning rhythms and rituals and routines that keep them in a nearness to God in this book that begins with that wonderful first word, Vaikra. draw near. So these first 10 chapters before this week, these first 10 chapters, were all about inside the tabernacle learning a rhythm, learning a set of practices that remind us on a daily basis to whom we belong. And every sacrifice and every offering, every rhythm and ritual, all the priestly activities are all about reminding the worshipers to whom they belong. But as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, now that the first 10 chapters are behind us, we step out of the first 10 into the next major section of Leviticus, chapters 11 through 15. And in the first 10, it's all about, we just said, what happens in church? (laughs) Being shaped, being reminded on a weekly basis to whom you belong and that you are beloved. But chapters 11 through 15 are about stepping out into the street of our life and living in real ways in everyday life Living in a way that demonstrates to the world who it is to whom we belong. That means there are details in here that are very physical. Details about, well, if you belong to me, here's how you think about food. And here's how you think about childbirth. And here's how you think about bodily functions. And and above all, in chapter 13 and 14, here's what to do when you're sick. And you're on the outside looking in. Yeah. I want to talk about that because the word that emerges through chapters 13 and 14 is sararat. Sarat is a word that means leprosy. That's where we get our word leprosy. But leprosy is not all it means. Leprosy in the truest sense is, is, is more than sarat. But serat describes all kinds of skin diseases. I mean rashes. Swelling, bubbling up, all kinds of really, you know, you know, appetizing images. But in the chapter that we're studying, it describes seven classifications of skin diseases. Remember the sevens that we talked about, the heptatic pattern? Every time you see seven, think of the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. Think of something trying to be recreated here. It talks about seven classifications of skin disease. And it talks about it over the course of fifty-nine verses, as if one or two verses wouldn't be enough. And I know you want me to read all fifty-nine verses, but it gets graphic. It gets it gets just gross. I mean, like on the level of like Doctor Pimple Popper gross. That level of what I no, you know, you've seen that show, and you know you don't want to see it. You don't want to admit you see it. You turn it on like, ugh, that's awful. It's ugh. Yeah, I'm not going to watch that, you know, much more. What is that? What is that thing? You know, so on that level, 59 verses of if your skin does this, then here's what it is. So do that. If your skin is doing this, but not the first thing, well, then don't do the first thing. Do the second thing and so on. Seven classifications with explicit instructions about what to do. If you have this disease, you go to the priest, they have to examine you to make sure that you're not going to defile the holy space of the tabernacle. Now, what's going on in this passage? There are several things going on. One of the things going on in this passage, where if you have been diagnosed as having a defiling disease, you have to go for seven days outside the camp. And then at the end of seven days, you come back in, again, another seven. You come back in, and the priest looks and says, if you're clean, if, if you're healing, there's a ceremony and you are welcomed back into the community. If you're still not quite healed, you've got to go back out for another set of seven days and come back again until you end up being healed. And there were some and always are some of us who, for whom no matter what we do, no matter how long we wait, Dadgummit, it just seems like I'm always on the outside, never clean enough, never qualified enough. When will I ever be diagnosed as someone worthy to stand in the center of community and love? So what, what's happening with all this? See, on the one hand, it's it's just physical. On the one hand, in the ancient mind, there's kind of a fear that everything was Contagious, and in some cases it can be contagious depending on the classification. But it's more than that. Remember what we're saying about Leviticus. Don't just pay attention to what the Bible is saying. Pay attention to what the Bible is attempting to do with what it's saying. And in the ancient mind, there was the idea that every form of suffering came because of sin. That if you're sick, it's because you you sinned. Well, you and I know better than that. We know that's not how God orders the universe. Now, can sin cause suffering? Yes, it absolutely can. But not all suffering is because you did something wrong. But can we reflect on that for just a moment? Sometimes sin actually does create suffering. Suffering in our relationships, suffering in our families. Sin drives a wedge, not only between us and the divine, it drives a wedge between us and each other. And to be honest with you, in seasons when I was completely unattentive to my own sin, in those seasons, it drives a wedge between me and me. Where you live out of a false version of you. And you leave the truest self that God had hoped for when God designed you somewhere on the other end of this divide. That is what sin does. And here's what's interesting when I think about Leviticus and the possibility that some things we do make us sick. Some things. I think about a Hasidic rabbi. His name here is Yehud Leib Alter of Ger. 19th century Hasidic rabbi. You know what he said? He interprets this passage. He, he says, You know what? In Hebrew, the word for for skin is or. But the word for light is or. Different words, but they're so close, they share a root so close that this Hasidic rabbi said, the truth of what's happening in Leviticus is this. In every one of us is the divine light of God that divine spark, that image of God that was instilled in you at your creation. And the trouble is, when we sin, we disrupt that light because the pores of our skin, he said, are meant to be the access points where the inner light of God's love and power and grace and, and mercy shine out of us into a world of darkness. And when we sin, we, we cover that light. And in a way, our skin, our, our access point, scales over and we scab over I love that we scab over the inner light that is meant to be shining through us so he says yeah it's leprosy but it's a spiritual leprosy Do you know now suddenly this is not such a primitive ancient text. Now suddenly you and I know exactly what that's all about. You and I know that we can make choices. We can say things, do things, go places, make decisions that in every possible way scabs over our witness, our light, our love. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, right, and and put it under a bowl. That's ridiculous. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So in every true way, you and I can have spiritual leprosy. Where we are meant to be radiating in this world the light, the love, the hope of Christ. Christ in you. The hope of glory. And yet, every time I think, I'm going to ask her to come to church. And because I know she's struggling, and every time I come to church, I get this sense of renewed hope, and I feel like, ah, I can make it one more week. I'm going to ask her. But there's something, I don't want to be awkward. It's going to be kind of weird. She's so going to think I'm like this freak, and I'm not going to reach out and actually do it. So I'll just let her know where I go, and, and I'm just going to stop short. I'm scabbing over a light that can illumine her darkness. You know of a, a friend who was crossing some boundary lines with another mutual friend and you thought you had an arrangement where you could share with no secrets. You thought you had an arrangement where you could call one another to accountability, but that's none of my business. I'm just not going to, you know, I love him, but I'm not going to call him out. I love her. I'm not going to call her out. There is a light in you that can illumine what may simply be a temporary darkness for them. But when you choose to just, you know, I'm going to just kind of, you scab over and live out this spiritual leprosy because in you, beloved, is the hope of the world. And when we hide our light under a bushel, it's as if we scab over our witness. Do you not know someone For whom, if they were to come and be with us from time to time, might have a little more hope in their life, might feel a little more steadiness of heart, well, then your light may be what illumines their path, right? So we all can experience spiritual leprosy. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it if we if we recognize that we're not living out our faith in ways that illumine? Well, what if we realize that we are still on the outside looking in? In Leviticus there was a pathway to fix that problem. To the ancients here was the pathway after you stand outside the gate or outside the city or outside the camp for seven days and you show yourself to the priest and, and the priest declares that you're, you're healed, then you undergo a process. And it's fascinating. They take two birds. And they take a cedar wood. and They take a crimson yarn. And they take a, a branch of hyssop. And they take the two birds and... And they sacrifice one and let the other one live. And then they mix blood and water into a mixture. It's fascinating. Not just any water. Living water, it says. Which means living water, which has to come from a river or a stream or a babbling brook. In other words, get get the image. In this bowl, there is the mixture of blood, which represents life and living water, which represents action and motion and movement, movement that we're all hoping to somehow find to the center. And in this bowl, a mixture of blood and living water is sprinkled seven times on the living bird, and the living bird is freed. If I leave here, Tomorrow, would you still remember me? Nobody's laughing. That's free bird. Come on. Right? Come on. Nobody? Nothing? Free bird. Whoa. Okay, so this bird is freed. And think about the power of the image. I hope that played better in the other room. I don't know. The image of this bird. One. Dead and one flying away the image of i once was lost but now i'm found i once was a walking dead person and now i'm flying free because of grace well then the bird flies away and they take the same mixture and they sprinkle it seven times on the person who is now being made clean They wash their clothes. They take a bath. They shave. And then they move from the outside of the camp. Oh, this is great. To the inside of the camp, but still on the outside of the tent. There's still a process. Sometimes it takes a little while to be made clean. And for another seven days, they're inside the camp now, and they go through another ritual at the end of seven days. Guess what they do? They wash their clothes, they bathe, and they shave again, except this time they shave more thoroughly. They shave their head, their chin, and their eyebrows so that they look like a brand-new baby. And washed like a brand-new baby, the next day there's a celebration on the eighth day. Remember what we said about the eighth day. In a seven-day week, the eighth day is actually the first day of a brand new week and now like a newborn baby a new creation this person begins a brand new life and don't miss what's happening here in this text don't miss what's happening in leviticus because with or without leviticus the person who gets this kind of disease is going to be outside the camp with leviticus or without leviticus But because of Leviticus, this God is a God who takes those who are on the outside of the camp and makes a pathway for them to return to the inside. And why? Because no matter where you are or how you got there, you belong. You belong. No matter where you are or how you got there, you belong No matter where you are or how you got there, you belong. And to illustrate what that looks like, so this this book ends eventually, believe me. I know you don't believe it does, but it does end eventually. And when it does, they pack up and it's time to move and they're moving toward the promised land. And the book of Numbers picks up with this movement. Don't worry, I know what you're thinking. But in the book of Numbers it picks up and now they're moving. I want you to catch this. A million people moving toward the promised land and Miriam, the sister of the high priest, the sister of Moses, comes down with leprosy. Which means the sister of the high priest has to, to stay outside of the camp for seven days. But here's the beauty of the story. The entire camp A million people stop and wait until she is made clean. Because when one is down, the whole is down. When one of us falls, we all fall. This is why Jesus, everywhere he turned, touched unclean people and welcomed unclean people. And a woman with a bleeding issue, unclean, reaches out and touches the... The very edge of his robe and he stops the entourage there's a movement a momentum he stops it and says woman be made clean this is why in mark's gospel in worship a man who is unclean with leprosy jesus says be made clean because in jesus we see the the truest pathway for those who are unclean to be brought back into the center of god's love and back into the center of our community so If that's true about Christ, it must be true about us. For if we are the body of Christ, if we are the hands and the feet of the risen Lord, that means the church of Jesus Christ must keep touching unclean people. It means we keep our arms wide open and we make no distinctions about who it is that we're called to love. And as we do that, here's what happens in them and in us, We recognize that the living Christ is teeming and raising up once more in us, and they are reminded that they belong. The Truth is, we're all a little bit clean and a little bit unclean. We're all a little bit in and a little bit on the outside. One day, someone asked me about you. What kind of church members you have at Johns Creek? What kind of members go to your church? I said, well... What do you mean? What kind of members come to John's Creek? What kind of members do you have? I said, the same as you. The same same kind of members you have. He said, what kind is that? I said, sinners. (laughs) (laughs) And saints. And beautiful. And bruised. And polished. And tarnished. and Clean and unclean and every last one of them belongs let the church say amen let's pray good and loving god we recognize that we should not even be able to celebrate a welcome this radical that you truly have welcomed us to belong to your great family but here we are And as members of your your beloved family, as sons and daughters, we, we pray that you would transform us from the inside out to the degree that we begin seeing every mortal around us as those who are deserving of our welcome, clean or unclean, finished or unfinished, show us how to so order our lives that at work and at school, and in just the normal rhythm of our, 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 our living, we may demonstrate for this world of isolated and ostracized people that in you, we all belong. We pray these things in the name of the one who makes us to belong. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.